All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Staying Conscious podcast. Today with me, I have a very special guest. His name is Martin Richards. He's from England, and uh, he is, well, what, what do you want to call yourself? Teacher, coach, entrepreneur? What do you want to call yourself? Uh, well, all of the above nowadays. Uh, I'm trying to call myself retired, but I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> I've been a been an entrepreneur all my life in the sense that I've um, started projects and built them up and then moved on to something else, which is typical entrepreneur behavior. I've run my own company, still have that in the background. I've been a teacher, so I've been in, in and out of primary, secondary, adult education. I've taught maths. I am a, a mathematics teacher for my sins. Uh, I'm a teacher of English. I learned how to do that too. And I'm a certified coach. So, yeah, all of the above. <laughs> Perfect. It's a little mixture of everything then. That's great. But I know that coaching and especially evolving the educational system, as you like to call it, is something that's been very close to you now. How does one get into that? Like what makes a person want to help in their field of industry, industry really? Because you are, you are a teacher, so obviously you must have seen something there that you would like to change. Yeah, that's part of it. Changing something is part of it. Um, from my teacher perspective, from a student, when I, and obviously I've been through school and university, so I, I saw firsthand what school and education was like and I had ideas about what worked and what didn't for me and, and for others. Um, I know how difficult it is to change because as a teacher I try to change things and you, know, you meet resistance, the system is quite rigid, and quite robust and, and now that I'm outside of it I'm attempting to, to influence it both from a point of view of stopping certain practices, changing others and introducing in particular, coaching practices, the, the kind of the mindset that goes with coaching. Yeah. And coaching is a very unique thing, I'd have to say. And I bet maybe many of my listeners don't really know what coaching means. I've mentioned it before in previous episodes slightly, but I have not really gone in depth to explain what it means. But I guess perhaps you would like to explain in the simplest way possible what coaching is and why is it useful? I get that question a lot because I work with educators who don't know what coaching is. Those who do know, obviously, we don't have this conversation. But there are those who say, well, what is coaching? And I argue that it's what teachers do when they are not focusing on the subject, but they're focusing on the student. A teacher's job is huge. Not only do you have to be your subject master, for me I was a mathematician, so you have to be really good at mathematics and teaching, explaining mathematics. But also on the receiving end, you've got a young person and you need to engage with them as well. So the coaching part comes from when I'm teaching mathematics, but the mathematics is not getting through. So now I've got to go on the other side to the learner, to the student, and help them to understand, to be motivated, to, to open the door, if you like, so that I can teach them some mathematics. Yeah. An example of that, if I may, 
I work as a volunteer for students who need and ask for support doing their homework. Mm -hmm. I happen to be in the mathematical, and I, I have the word maths, Martin and maths on my t-shirt when I'm doing this. I'm not a teacher in that case. I'm a coach. So when the students put their hand up and say, can I have some help? I approach them as coach. Right. So they say to me, uh, I ask them, you know, what, what's up, what's happening? And they say, I can't do this. Now, a teacher would explain how to do it. But they've told me the door is shut. I cannot do it. <laughs> and so long as the door is shut, there's no amount of mathematics that's going to get through a closed door. So I've got to get the door open first. So I would challenge them around, oh, what makes you think you can't? Mm. And that's quite a shocking effect because this young person expects to be taught. But I'm not a teacher. I'm a coach. So the first thing I say is, well, what is it that makes you think you can't? How, do you, how, do you, how far have you got on your own so far? How much do you know? At what point do you feel that it stops the, the understanding? Where can you get some information about that? Where is there an example? Do you have a book that might help you? Do you have a colleague you might ask? I don't help them with the mathematics. I help them with their attitude towards learning mathematics. And that is just like the door just either it, it gets stronger because they get into an argument with me about how hard maths is. And then I go and sit with them. We have a conversation about, is it true that girls can't do math? Is it true that people from your culture, people from your postcode, is, is, is there any of this true? And because I'm scratching and poking holes in their, in their beliefs, you know, obviously I'm, I have to have a strong relationship and trust with them. When those doors fall, um, when the walls fall down, when the do doors fly open, suddenly not only can they do maths, but they can help others. Wow. So in that environment, I can be having a conversation with someone for the first time, and we get literally the, the, the door knocking. They can hear I'm knocking on the door. But there's a student in the room who I've worked with before who's smiling broadly because they know what's going on. It's got nothing to do with mathematics or English or anything else that's going on. It's to do with their attitudes towards learning. Yeah. And when those attitudes are better, which you can get to by challenging them and, and encouraging them, opening them and exploring them as a coach, suddenly learning becomes a lot easier. So that, that would be, if you like, the big difference between coaching where I don't touch the subject and teaching where subject is my main concern. Perhaps um, teaching the subject to a certain level, to a certain exam, at a certain pace, then I'm just just teaching or instructing. But of course a teacher has that dual role. That's why I think they should be paid double. <laughs> At least double! <laughs> because they've got this pastoral job of taking care of the students, knowing who they are and where, where their doors are open a little bit and where their doors are not shut, right. and the subject. Right, and it's so much bigger than what we see. I mean, I've only been a student in my life, really. So I've always viewed teachers as like such an, like I just take them for granted, kind of. And uh, well, I know the teachers who I used to really like 
And they were always a little bit different in the ways that they taught things. You know, we had our very, I remember my math teacher, well, I don't want to trash talk him, but he, he was not that good actually. And I did not learn anything because in his mind, he always just expected me to know something. And if I said I didn't, that was like his end right there. He's like, but how can you not know this? I've already taught you in my whatever way he taught me and which was not really good. But uh, a few teachers, and I only mentioned like just a few, had that extra thing. And what you're talking about seems to be one of those characteristics of a teacher that makes you like him or her and also makes you a better student. But the, the, the concept of coaching in the educational system, I've never really heard about it in my schools that I've been in, never. And so why is that not a more common thing if we know that it's actually helping the students? Uh, I think it's a question of labels. When, when I speak, you can imagine that I'm speaking to a room full of teachers. Yeah. None of them, usually, none of them are certified coaches. Right. None of them, perhaps maybe one or two, have even experienced coaching, as we would call coaching but they've been teaching. So what I do to help them to understand that what they are doing is actually coaching, I show them the International Coach Federation's core skills. There are 11 core skills that a coach must master in order to be certified. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, do you do any of these? Do you do like managing accountability and progress? And they go, yeah, we do that. Do you ask questions? Yeah. To raise awareness? Yeah, we do that. They do all of those things. Yeah. They do every single one of the coach skills, but they've never had the label, I'm a coach, put on them. Some of them go, well, I don't want to be a coach because they don't like what they think about coaching or they've heard something and they don't like it. Others go, oh, but then I can call myself a coach. I say, you can call yourself a coach. If you're doing those 11 skills to some degree, then you are a coach to, to some degree. Yeah. And then we usually pick in order to, like find out are we really coaches in the room we pick a skill like listening and it turns out that on a scale of one to ten where ten is the highest they would score a two or a three they do listen but not in the way that the coach does they're listening for a different purpose they're listening to hear how much do you understand and therefore where do i need to come in to teach you whereas a coach listens so that you understand, not that the coach understands. It's more a reflective questioning, a more, more reflective listening process. Um, yeah, so teachers do coach a little bit. And if you look at some of the really good head teachers, they are good coaches too. I've met quite a few and they don't call themselves coaches either. Right. They call themselves leaders. <laughs> Like they, they don't, they, they have those traits, but they don't call themselves a coach, perhaps. Right. They have other names. They have other names on the, the job that they do, which contains some coaching skills, more or less developed. I mean, a coach has these developed and certified and, you know, checked and everything so that they can call themselves a coach. Uh, but teachers don't, don't have, I want to change that. I want coaches, uh, skills to be in every teacher at a, a level of eight or nine of, of ten. So they could actually go and certify as coaches if they wanted to. I'm not suggesting they do, right. but I'd like them to have those skills because when I was a kid in school, 
just like you mentioned, there were teachers who really helped me learn. Mm. And looking back now with a coach like telescope, I'm looking back through time going, what that teacher was doing was actually coaching at a four or five skills level. Mm -hmm. Better, better than just curiosity. They were quite good. One, for example, and I've written about this in my, in one of my books, um, he would never make us wrong. A math teacher, and math is full of right and wrong, isn't it? So the thing about mathematics, it's either right or it isn't. Yeah. But he would never make us wrong. So we would ask a question, and you'd give a, an ill-informed, perhaps joke of an answer, and he would never say that's wrong. He'd always say something like, hmm, you knew you were wrong when he said that. Hmm, how did you arrive at that answer? Or what makes you think so? Yeah. Or show me your working, tell me your thinking. And at that point, as you're saying or showing how you got to your wrong answer, as a student, you finally go, oh, uh, hang on a minute, that, that's not right. Okay, so what's your thinking now? And he would allow us to course correct, to change our answer so that we would come, he wants us to think right, not get the right answer. Getting the right answer was good, but thinking right was better. So he never made us wrong. Even when we goofed around and answered the most ridiculous, you know the students, 16, 17 year old, how they can be. He would ask a question or he would chuck out some bonkers answers just for a bit of fun. And he would say, hmm, so would you like to share with us how you got to that? He goes, no, you wouldn't like to share. Okay. He's like, sit there and squirm for a bit then, Richards. <laughs> you know you just made a silly suggestion. Um, but really, he, he did this with a twinkle in his eye. Um, there was a strong sense of trust for this guy. He knew his maths and he cared about us. He knew us by name. He knew us by where we came from, what we liked. And he would give us nearly always a question that we could answer rather than trying to trick us and giving us a question that we couldn't answer. So if he had a, a question on trigonometry, he'd know where to go for the, for the better answers. So the people in the, in the other side of the room are, oh, I don't know what's going on. We would at least see and hear the right thinking. And then he would, he would even do things like, so what's the answer to this question? Mm -hmm. Okay. Then you knew that. Okay. That meant group discussion. Who agrees? Who disagrees? Because in mathematics, you can get to the right answer with thinking in different ways. Yeah. Who agrees? Who disagrees? And then if you disagree with the method, what method would you have? Which would you prefer? What makes you prefer that? Digging all the time into who we were and how we were thinking as mathematicians. Right. It reminds me a little bit of psychoanalysis, you know, with free associations where you get to speak your mind really. Even if the, the student might know or feel like the answer is wrong, just figuring out how they get to that point seems to be an advantage in learning. And uh, absolutely really an amazing technique to use really in any area, that introspection where you get to explore yourself, create self-awareness is really what you're doing. And wow, um, so is this, I guess this is something perhaps that has inspired you, this, this teacher, did he inspire you? In a way? Yeah, <laughs> he was one of uh, a handful. Um, I started this summer, I started writing a little bit of a thank you. you know, as, I, as I retire from the education world, my children have come out of the education world and 
I'm, I'm just writing a little thank you, if you like, to, to the teachers who helped me. Yeah. And strangely enough, the teachers who helped me the most are mathematicians, mm. which meant I chose mathematics for my university studies, but it's not where I am now. <laughs> so going back to school for a second, I have several math teachers to thank and a science teacher to thank for the way they treated me in particular, because I can speak to that, but also how they treated my friends and my classmates with respect. Mm -hmm. Respect the fact that we weren't grown-ups. Respect that we were trying so hard to be grown-up, 16, yeah. 17, and gloriously failing on occasions. Mm -hmm. um, I had one, one science teacher who displayed non-judgment and curiosity, which are two key coaching skills. When my classmate and I were playing around with a garden worm, you know, those things that go in your compost, uh, we'd found some in the science lab. I guess it's a biology lesson, and these worms were dead. Um, they, were, they looked like bits of bacon. <laughs> but anyway, we decided to do an experiment on them, and we set up this looked quite gruesome experiment. Had the worm been alive, we wouldn't have done it. But anyway, the teacher didn't know that. Coming into the classroom, she could see this worm being stretched in a kind of medi medieval torture. And instead of saying, what the hell are you doing? She said, what are you doing? And I, I remember today, we were scared of her shocked reaction. But she reined it in and she said, what are you, do what are you up to? Mm. And we immediately bullshitted about making a science experiment. And then she took us face value and said so how are you measuring it then <laughs> and how are you recording your results and it really drilled into the science of what we were doing yeah you realized that you were doing science kind of the, the, the no nah, we were fooling around we were fooling around but you can do science whilst fooling around and we were quick enough to 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 be able to flip this from fooling around to learning with her help she turned this foolishness into science and at the end when we explained the experiment she just sort of nodded because she knew we were goofing around she just said tidy up when you're done so we tidied up straight away and we got ready for the lesson but i remember that as a pivotal moment in my life when i thought wow scientists are really good people they care about us yeah that's an amazing insight right there where, where would you say that your starting point of uh Coaching, where was it? When or when was it? It was earlier than that. It was very early. Um, so I've had a chance to sit and think about this quite a lot. So at the time, it did not appear this way. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I think, about 13, 14 years old. Um, quite new at the secondary school. You know, a little boy, and in the school you've got 16, 17-year-olds, and they're huge. And I was being bullied. I got sort of picked up and pushed around quite a lot. And there were a couple of bigger kids in the, in the school who were known to be bullies. And they grabbed me one day and uh, took me to their, their leader, who actually was a skinny little guy. But somehow he, he managed to make them do what he wanted to wanted them to do 
and I had no idea what was going on. We were in a dark part of the school, away from other grown-ups, and well, I knew that you know, punching and kicking was about to happen, but I imagined worse in my in my in my mind. And this leader, bully guy, grabbed hold of me and he shouted at me. And what he said changed the way I thought. He said, you are going to do my homework. Because he couldn't do it. He was stuck. Now, I'm looking back now because what I did at the time, I, I just helped him with, with his homework. Mm-hmm. But I realized what, what I was thinking at the time was along the lines of, this kid has a strange way of asking for help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he uses his fists to, to say, help me. And I, rem- I do remember being so shaky from this vi- violence that was offered to me. I, I couldn't write on his book, so I just spoke him. I talked him through the mathematics, what to write, where to write it, and why. And suddenly I was there a little, you know, I'm a teacher, right? Suddenly a teacher is born, but also the heart of a teacher is the same as the heart of a coach. We want, we enjoy helping. We, we get pleasure from helping and supporting others in discovering what they want to do. And at that point, I, I, looking back, it never happened before. This, this boy was asking for help in the only way he knew. And it called in me, called out in me, the, the heart of a coach or the heart of a teacher. Wow. Quite a bizarre, but still quite amazing story as a start. <laughs> so I guess that's written in one of your books, I bet. Yeah, that was in the uh, coach, um, an educator's journey from teacher to coach, which I wrote when I was 59. I was celebrating my 60th birthday. I, I do celebrations. I like things like, oh, it's 60. I wouldn't have written a 59-year celebration, but 60 sounds <laughs> like fun. Right. Um, so I sat down and sketched out my life, um, some of the things. And that's when I began to discover that teachers earlier in, in my life, teachers have been quite heroic in the way they supported this scruffy little kid with, with mild academic ambitions. If a uni- sorry, if a teacher hadn't said to me, which university have you applied to, I wouldn't have applied. Because in my family, it wasn't even a question. It was a teacher who raised it. And I, was, I went, what? He said, well, do you have any application forms? I said, no. He said, well, here's some. And he gave me the application forms for maths for these four local universities. Mm-hmm. And opened my, he actually opened the door to university life and indeed life away from home, life away from parents. Wow, interesting. So that wasn't Te- even in your mind, but it, that teacher help you in that sense. Oh, it's his job. I mean, he was the careers officer. It's his job to ask, you, have you applied? But if he'd never asked me the question, nobody else would have, in the, in the family would have asked that question. So I'm eternally grateful to having that question. Of course, I had to answer and respond and apply and go to the uh, interviews. I had to do all the work. I had to get my, what was it, A, B, and B grades or whatever it was, or B, B, and C, I can't remember. Um, I had to do the work. 
it just showed me a door that I didn't even know. I kind of heard about it, but it wasn't for me. Mm. The university pathway was just new. Yeah. So that it, with that kind of reflection, wow, this, if this teacher hadn't done this, I wouldn't have, maybe, probably wouldn't have ever mm. studied at a higher level. So much, I had so much, not debt's the wrong word, gratitude, I think, to, to the teachers who held me accountable, held the door open, uh, believed in me, and not just me, I wasn't the only student in the school. Uh, and, and having looked at that, there's the other side. There are teachers whose choice of words have done damage, permanent damage to my belief in certain abilities. Yeah. In my, in my ability to, to do certain things. Would you want to give examples of that? Yeah, that's a little. I can't be quite as enthusiastic about it because there's a lot of negative emotion. But okay, uh, I don't sing. I do. I actually, I do sing on my own. I'll sing like a little bird. But if, I, if anyone sees me or hears me, I'll stop immediately. All right. And I can trace that back to, in particular, uh, a music teacher who would. I don't know what he was thinking, but he would get teenage boys to sing in a choir. Okay. <laughs> and we went from teenage to little boy, and you know how voices are when, at that age. Yeah. Um, and, and instead of understanding, okay, this kid's really trying, oh God, my ears hurt. He would, he would shout in your face that mm. you were no good. Oh my God. And I remember being so sick from this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go to music lessons. I'd be naughty. I'd find a way out. Or I'd go and I'd play up in the lesson. Yeah. I'd be a good, good boy in the math lesson. I'd be a real shit in the music lesson. <laughs> and then I would stand in the choir and I would fake singing. And he would walk along in front of us and he would listen. And there were, I wasn't alone. There were many of us who were faking singing because we didn't want to get caught. But when he stood right in front of us and turned his ear and said, Oh, I can't hear anything. Go on then, louder, sing. Like the word sing equals sudden production of musical notes. Yeah. And he would do that for everything. We, we played musical instruments when we wrote music. He would ridicule us relentlessly. It was his way of keeping control. It was his way of dealing with having to be a uh, music teacher. And that contrasted so horrendously with the math teacher, the English teacher, the science teachers who really cared, or at least I felt they really cared who I was and how I was doing. Mm -hmm. For this guy, I was a failure. Yeah. And I wasn't the only one. I mean, he, would get in, he actually got into a fight, a physical throwing each other around the classroom fight with, with one of the bigger boys in the school who actually didn't appreciate being told he was rubbish and then threw, the, threw a punch at the teacher and the teacher responded. Well. So I mean, as many wonderful teachers as there are, and I do believe they are, deserve double the pay because they do twice the job that anyone knows about, there are others out there who... Need something. They need good leadership. They need perhaps to change job. I don't know. But there must have been a reason why he was like that. And he wasn't the only one. I mean, 
I could probably stand teachers in a spectrum from absolutely brilliant to extremely awful, should never even be allowed in a school type of teacher. Yeah, I mean, don't they get taught that? I don't know when this, what year this was, but don't they get taught some no, <laughs> teachers to be able to take care of students and not release their personal aggression towards them and their personal biases and stuff? Depends on country, depends on uh, decade. Okay. So you're right. This was the UK and this was the 19... Well, I'm older than you. This was... Uh, Early 1970s, late 1960s. Yeah, I'm sure they were taught. I'm sure they were vetted, and I'm sure, actually, I revisited my school when I first trained as a teacher. I was so pleased that I went back to my school to tell the head teacher, and I volunteered to teach, and I taught some lessons in my old school right next to my old. That was wonderful. <laughs> And two of the teachers that had treated me ill had actually behaved immorally and illegally were still there. And this wow. was like six or seven years later. Wow. And I still didn't have the courage to call them out. I was still scared of them. And obviously they're not going to give me a grade or anything, but I'm still in my bones scared of this teachers yeah and i'm i'm 64 and i'm still scared I'm, i can't i can't i tried i tried to bring myself to sing and i'll wobble along but as soon as i'm viewed as soon as i'm seen i'm criticized and my voice shuts right down i, I can't get a word out wow and i'm quite garrulous by nature i'm quite a chatty fellow so, I mean, this is trauma. This is trauma. This is injury, damage. Yeah, the environment is extremely crucial, in, especially in that age, such a young age. You know, that's, that's when we're shaped, really, as the human beings that we're going to become. And, um, the, well, and then the teacher's responsibility is huge because we spend most of our lives in a school when we're that age. So, obviously we are so influenced by everything going on around us with our classmates and the way that, you know, we uh, behave there, etc. And also the teachers and the role that they have on our upbringing. So when was it professionally that you decided that you wanted to put coaching into the school system? Was that back in England or was that? No, no. I've been living in Sweden for 30 years. So I, I run my own company. Um, I reached a point where I kind of wanted to do something different. So I'm quite changeable. Uh, I've been running a company that's based on teaching people English. You probably know this. One-to-one um, -one English training by phone. Ooh, what a novelty. Uh, the, in 1990, it was a bit of a novelty to teach remotely. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was doing what teachers are doing now. I was doing that in 1990, but I was doing it one-to-one -one and for people who could pay a considerable fee for my time. I had um, spent 25 years doing that. I'd been able to work from home. I'd seen my children um, go to primary school, secondary school and grow up. And basically, now that they were moving out, it was like, hmm, time for something different. Mm. I do remember having like um, 
a long period of not knowing where to go next and not being happy with where I am. I think a lot of, when I'm coaching, I see that a lot. People say, well, here's all right, but there's something that says I want to do something different, but I don't know what it is. So it's either that the current situation gets so bad that you have to leave, or the the next situation becomes clearer that you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, it was um, a large espresso, uh, the local paper, the the Gothenburg Times, as it was in those days. No, when that was Metro, it's called Metro. Yeah. And I saw that somebody was going to hold a demonstration of coaching, information and demonstration of coaching. I did not know what it was, but it was at least close by. Literally, curiosity, large cup of coffee, proximity. So I went to the hotel and there were maybe 100 people in the room and he talked about coaching and he got us in pairs to coach each other. So we did what we normally do. We give each other lots of good advice. And then it he said, what you've just done is this. And we all went, yeah, we, yeah, we were giving people lots of advice. Goes, That's not coaching. That got me really interested because if what I was doing, like supporting people in learning, teaching them English, was different to what coaching was, then coaching could be the new thing. Yeah. So, curiosity, I signed up for a course in Stockholm, three days that changed my life, literally. Um, again, it's somebody who could see the potential, and they turned this rather talkative fellow into a deep listener. I do both, but the, the first, the speaking part, is, is the most audible. And they brought out the listener, and when I came back from that, I knew that I wanted to be a coach. This is back in two thousand four, I think, wow. if I remember right, it's September two thousand four. Yes, that's about right. 1990, I've been running the, the um, teaching English for quite a long time. And this gave me the new direction to go in. And how did your life change after that? What happened? Um, I stopped being so focused on money, interestingly enough. I know a lot of people out there think coaching equals money, but it's wasn't so for me. I realized that I had the tools, coaching tools, to change the way teachers teach. And I wasn't particularly thinking of that music teacher or, or, or other teachers that I've mentioned in my book. It was more to do with the teachers who taught, sorry, teachers who coached a little bit. Mm-hmm. I realized that these, these coaching skills were what they really needed but were on a full scale compared to where they were using them at like natural skills. Yeah. So I got interested in bringing coaching into education and demonstrated the power of it by basically coaching students, uh, college students. I think that's roughly when you and I met yeah. uh, in Gothenburg that I was coaching or I was giving talks to students about whatever. And then I would use the coaching skills, the listening skills, the powerful questions, and there'd be a shift. There would be like all the kids in the room suddenly become grown-ups because I was treating them differently. And the teachers noticed. They go, they they like they trust me. Uh, they they talk to me more in depth than they normally do. 
the quiet students are actually speaking up. I said, what, what just happened? <laughs> then I had a couple of um, particular interventions where the students had, um, were causing, causing themselves, but also the teacher's problems. And the teacher said, well, look, could you come and do some coaching with them? And then I was more in the room to coach rather than in the room to talk about running a business or being an Englishman or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was there specifically to, to coach the students. And that just showed me that I didn't have to have any specific knowledge to teach like I did when I was a mathematics teacher. I could still reach these students on who they were and who they were becoming. Yeah. And again, I've written, written about those stories in the, which one is that? The Coach in the Classroom, which I have a copy of here. Actually, I can wave it to you. This one. Coach in the Classroom which right. talks about how a coaching approach, how it looks, how it sounds in the classroom context. I, I'd also thought about uh, the, the staff room uh, context, um, like how does a head teacher coach his staff? But there were so many books on leadership which had already covered this. It mm -hmm. felt like repetition. There's very, very few books out there that talk to teachers about how they already coach and how they can coach even more effectively by amping up some of these or practicing some of these skills, in particular the listening skill. Yeah. And then there's all the others to come come after. I'm I'm curious when you implement uh, in coaching into a certain school, for example, is it does it does it become like a specific program that the students know that they are following, or is it more that you only affect the teachers and then subliminally they affect the students is that how it works uh, maybe that's I go yeah I've gone for the subliminal I don't particularly want coaching to be taught in school because then it'll become something which is examined and then you would get the right wrongness about it so if somebody wishes to train to be a coach yeah. I would say become an adult first get some life experience and then when you feel ready to support others Go and do, get, get some coaching to be coached yourself first and then learn about coaching. So what we do is we coach educators so that, and they're, they're wickedly quick. I'm in awe of how quick the, to the teachers that we've worked with, they've volunteered to be coached, but at the same time, they're noticing what's going on. So they're feeling into, oh, this coaching is good for me. And they ask a question, what did the coach just say? I'll write that down. I'll use that later. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they both learn how to coach by having been coached, but they get the benefits of having been coached, which is some, some issue. I had somebody today say, I want to be a more efficient teacher. And we dig into their, their identity and their values and their skills, which mm -hmm. is like coaching subject. We don't teach them anything, but we just coach them around what their goal is. And then she goes, she's starting to write down the questions. <laughs> I'll use these with my students. Her students were 10-year-olds. Now, that's interesting. Yeah. So Seeing how teachers apply, apply what they've learned in their own... I mean, it's, it's impossible not to, in a way, but it's, it affects their language in subtle ways. It affects the timing. Right. So they ask a question in a different way, and they'll wait longer for whatever answer comes up, rather than waiting for the correct answer, 
they'll wait for the answer that students got and then get curious about what's going on. I see. What's been the personal response that you received from teachers, students, etc.? Well, we work with teachers. We don't work with, with students right, right. Be because of the responsibility issue. We can't step in between the teacher and the parent and take responsibility. With an adult, if I was coaching you, for example, you get all the responsibility. I got nothing except to keep to what we've agreed to. Right. But you make a choice to, I don't know, cut your hair off or whatever. That's your choice. But if a child of 14 decides to cut their hair off and the parents say, what, what did you do, Mr. Coach? We, we don't want to have that. We, we can't step in, especially at distance. Exactly. So we're, we're coaching adults and we're coaching, sometimes it's the principal or the, the head teacher or the, or the management team. Sometimes it's, or more often, it's a class teacher or subject teacher. I see, I see. And, uh, well, I know that you have a Facebook group called something like Evolving the Educational System. I don't really remember. Um, but, and I, I saw that there were many people there who were interested in the same type of thing that you're interested in, coaching, helping teachers. So how did you find those people? Are there other people that you're working with, with this thing that, that you're doing, or is this something that you've been mostly alone with? Uh, I don't think I've ever actually been alone. I may have felt alone at times, but when I look up to see who else is doing something similar, I find lots of people. Now, now there are hundreds, hundreds of even head teachers who are certified coaches. Teachers who are cert you know, ACC certified, properly certified coaches who apply their coaching within the context of their job. So they may be teaching a subject, as I mentioned right at the beginning. The student and bumps into a problem. Instead of saying, well, I've taught you it, you should know it, which was, you know, you mentioned earlier that you had a teacher like that. They don't do that. They go, hmm. So how, what do you understand? How far have you got? Where could you find some information? Yeah. And this is being applied from university level all the way down to primary school. Wow. So it works on every level. It works because we're human. All right. Is there any way that you have to adapt depending on the age? Yes. <laughs> Responsibility. All oh, right, the responsibility part, of course. Yeah. It's to do with how much responsibility can I assume the other person has for their actions. And if there's a child, then it's the parental responsibility. And whilst they're with me as a teacher, I'm responsible. Mm. But with an adult, and we obviously there, there are university students who are adults, so that, that happens as well. Um, the, res the responsibility lies with them. But there's a grading all the way down from late teens. Well, you've got a lot of responsibility, but not all of it. <laughs> so, there's, so there's room for learning. So there's room for making these mistakes from which we learn so much. Of course. Otherwise, otherwise they don't. I, I had a beautiful example. Um, primary school teacher. I was observing the lesson, and I was going to give the teacher some feedback. I was just there to observe. 
and then give some feedback. And this was a lesson where the, the children were supposed to cut out a shape from paper that was, that was drawn on paper and then glue it together to make a little house. And the little houses were going to go together in a little scenario, a little scene where they had like a road and some hills and they were building a paper village. Unfortunately, um, it turned into a bit of a scissor fight. <laughs> uh, scissors and glue and hair and, and fingers and you know, a bit of a chaotic. And she never lost her temper. Uh, she did you know, monitor and dampen some of the worst uh, conflicts. Um, and then she gathered the children at the end of the lesson into a, like a half circle. And I thought, oh, okay, now she's going to really tell them what she thinks of there. But she didn't. She really surprised me because obviously she'd flipped from teaching them to now coaching them. Yeah. In my mind, I could see it. But she, but she said, no, no, this is just teaching. <laughs> she asked every single one with, with deep respect, sincerity, and curiosity, how satisfied are you with your, with, with your work today? And the kids went, oh, well, yeah, yeah, well, that was, yes, yes, okay, so how satisfied are you? No, okay, and all the way around, and she asked them what they could do better. She asked them um, what lessons they could learn from what they'd done. Literally, a reflection on their own yeah. learning. And then she sent them out for lunch. And I was just in awe. Again, I'm often in awe of teachers. Just how brilliant those coaching skills were. And we talked about it afterwards because she, she did have some ambition to, to work in a different way. Um, but she wouldn't have called it coaching. She just called it teaching. Wow. Amazing. Life skills. Yeah. 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 So, so your question earlier about aren't teachers taught this, the answer is yes, increasingly they are. Mm -hmm. And in some countries, they're 10 or 20 years ahead or behind other countries because of, you know, development doesn't go evenly all over the planet. So um, it, it would be difficult to say a specific teacher has or has not been trained, but they can all do with some support. Right. So what would be your higher like vision regarding this thing with coaching? Do you see that coaching will be a normal thing? Uh, like coaching teachers at every school will have either a certified coach or someone who's trained and coaches the teachers and then that way evolves more collectively or what's your vision? Regarding what, you've just, what you've just mentioned there are stepping stones along the way. The vision is to bring out the coach in every teacher because we believe there is a coach in every teacher sometimes that would require a coach a certified coach to stand beside the teacher whilst they bring out those skills or perhaps handle some trauma that they may be passing on to the students I'm thinking of the traumatic incidences in my life that teacher should not be necessarily cut away from teaching if they can be turned from their own traumas and handling them in a better way and a coach maybe a therapist or a coach depending on the severity would help them with that and then the coaching skills would help them not inflict more trauma on the students that they have in their classrooms furthermore it would help those students to to be pulled forward 
and the students will be learning. I, I sometimes teach students how to coach each other. They'll be learning how to coach. They'll be learning the mindset. Instead of saying, oh, you're wrong, you're stupid, you can't do this, and then repeating it for themselves over and over again, they will say, hmm, I got it wrong. What do, what do I have to learn? I can't do this yet. Hmm. I see. Wow. So right now in your life, because you, uh, you just told me before that you wrote four books uh, in one summer. And uh, well, that's amazing. If you would like to share those books with the audience, that would be great. You want the titles? Well, find one, you'll find them all. The one that, um, they're all out on Amazon. The one that I think is, has got the sexiest title <laughs> talks about uh, how it can go horribly wrong. It's called Five Ways to Kill a Teacher. <laughs> and it's a little, little description of how, how schools inadvertently limit and restrict and to some extent kill off a teacher's enthusiasm. This is something I've noticed about teachers. They often complain about the system or resources. They sometimes complain about the kids, but they never give up teaching the kids. If they drop out of the system, they, they go from one school to another or the type of system or to another type of system, they still have this love of teaching. There's something rewarding about teaching that can't be had anywhere else. So they, they carry on as a tutor, they carry on in their own, in their own company, or they become an internal teacher in an, an industry, another, another kind of uh, system. So this, this talks about how, how, how not to kill a teacher. Obviously, I don't want anyone to learn how to kill a teacher. And then the other one that you and I spoke of right at the beginning is the teachers who affected my life. Teachers who affected my life in positive ways. So I talk about three teachers who are math, well, math teachers, uh, science teachers who really made a difference. And I've been able to pick out some of the skills that they, that they had. They would probably call it teaching, but I would call it coaching. And then I look at a couple of uh, examples where, just to let teachers know that it's not all down to them, Sometimes the, the lack of results is the student. <laughs> so I, I kind of admit to that in a couple of occasions. And then there are two stories at the end of the book that talk about uh, teachers' really bad behavior that should be stopped. Um, one story talks about um, something that I think could be stopped. And, and the last one, I think it was, it's immoral behavior, it's illegal behavior, and Obviously, that needs to be addressed more harshly. Right. It seems a bit late now for the, I mean, the, the guy's probably dead now. Um, but I suspect that there are teachers like that lurking in the school system somewhere, and we need to help them. And uh, sometimes it means help them turn away from, and sometimes it means help them move away from. Right. I see. Wow, man, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I wonder if someone listening to this who is perhaps a teacher or perhaps a student or whatever, and they hear about coaching and they want to get started with this thing, like what can they do for themselves? That's going to... Oh, that, that's simple. That's simple. You go out on the World Wide Web and you type in coaching for educators and we will be number one hit okay. on Google, of course. Uh, the website is coaching for educators with little hyphens in between. Awful website name. But anyway, coaching for educators. We offer to 
get into a partnership between an educator and a coach for four sessions during two months and there's no fee for this because as you, as you can understand I, I'm not the only coach out there who's grateful for the teachers that we've had who've supported us and perhaps some of us also have teachers that we we wish had had a coach so we're reaching out to all educators who would like to to be coached for their own purposes whether it's to solve an issue or gain some clarity or just gain balance it's quite a turmoil out there right now mm -hmm. or whether they want to just discover what coaching is by being coached yeah um, that's that's out there for all educators and I can tell you we've celebrated our 100th partnership yesterday we went out um, we were waiting for it all weekend uh, the 100th educator to sign up and say they want to have to have coaching that's um, awesome. wonderful sense of way if you get if you can get to 100 of course we're, we're aiming for 500 in 2021 uh, we have a capacity for 400 educators to be coached for no fee the fees are waived we don't want your money we want the opportunity to bring coaching into the education system and to help and support educators, teachers and head teachers who are curious about coaching or who need coaching. Yeah. And you told me it's spreading through mouth to mouth method, right? References. Yeah. Started off with the, with the website, um, you know, a crazy name for the website, um, a bit of promotions in social media, but now it's, it's flipped. Yeah. Around the beginning of the summer, we noticed that the, the connection was between colleagues rather than I read it on the website or found it on that's Google. That's great. Optimal way right there. That's perfect. Well, Martin, I want to thank you a lot for joining this podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Great stories, great uh, insights as well. Everyone listening, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you subscribe to it. Check out Martin Richards, Coaching for Educators. And remember to stay conscious.